Well, we are in Romans 1 this morning. And before we completely get started, I, I do want to say that uh, one of the directions we're going, I, I'm kind of several weeks ahead on my study in, uh, which is a good thing. It keeps me on my toes, but I have to remember, okay, now what am we speaking on this week? But one of the things that we're headed toward is, is gossip. And I, the reason why I'm telling you that now is because I want you to start thinking about how many times we talk about somebody else in a negative way. So keep that in your mind over the next several weeks so when we actually get to the topic, your, your mind is right there. Because, I mean, you come to, it's, I'll just say it's pretty amazing how many times we do. And uh, so I'm not going to preach that sermon, but I just wanted to get that out there. And then uh, my wife uh, chastised me last week because she likes to Bible journal. You know, she likes to do different pictures and different stuff to remind her of Scripture. And she goes, she goes um, Alan, when you're up there talking about sex, I cannot Bible journal that. So, so she chastised me for that. So we're going to move off of that subject. And then um, lastly, I do want to, this was too funny. I almost said this when Brandon was in here, but uh, that's why I'm doing it now. Because I, didn't, I don't want to embarrass him. Um, so I'll, I'll, he'll have to find out later when he listens to my sermons, because I know he will, um, that I talk about him all the time. But uh, Lisa and, and Brandon were driving down the road last night, coming down Mooney, and Lisa pointed out a dairy. And we talk about that all the time. And, and she pointed out a dairy again, he thought, for a long time. And he finally pops up and he goes, Mommy, does that mean we live in California? So he's got my humor. I'm like, yes. So I know, I know. I I can't help it. So I'm like, yeah. Okay. So let's get into the word. How about that this morning? Uh, Romans 128. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to, the, to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent, way, new, uh, invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they, knew, uh, they, they, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of them who practice them. Approve of those who practice them. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else... For whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. So the Apostle Paul has been giving us these lists of of sins that we've been going over, and we started to cover uh, several of them. And remember, this is not a comprehensive list. Uh, He's writing this from Corinth. So all Paul had to do was, was literally open his window and look out into society and see what was going on. And he's going, oh, yeah, I need to write down that sin. Okay. Oh, I need to write down that sin. You know, I mean, it's just so obvious and in your face, especially there at Corinth. Um, So, you know, he he did this also with the help of the Holy Spirit. So when you see a list, we have to slow down and we have to look at it. It helps us see how the Lord relates to our lives and the things that that are important to to Him that we not follow in those footsteps. 
Now, in Romans 1, 2, and 3, the Apostle Paul is building a case like a lawyer. So by the time we get to the end of chapter 1, we conclude, uh, you know, and we start to feel guilty about all of us being sinners. So what I want you to do is look at someone around you and just go, you sinner. You think I'm joking. Come on, people, let's go. Call him a sinner. Uh, You didn't have anybody. You're a sinner. Oh, man. We are all sinners now that we've got that out of the way because we all deserve it. And we don't all deserve the, oh, you're a sinner. No, no, no. We deserve the, you're a sinner. You know what I mean? We deserve that fatherly in your face sometimes when your little one's acting up and you've got to go, hey, you need to calm down. You need to stop this. That's disrespectful. It's kind of the same thing. We are sinners. Paul lays it out. In the beginning of chapter 2, he says, don't be judging other sins. Don't be doing that. Because guess what? You are as guilty as they are. So we have to be careful as a church not to look out there into the world, not to look out there into Las Vegas or San Francisco or, or any other, you know, Delano or whatever and say, wow, what a sinful place. Because we are also sinners. It's sad that we all start out with this sinful nature in our lives and there's nothing that we can do about it. We get to heaven, we, we need to go up to Adam and Eve and go, thanks a lot, you know, and then we look around heaven, and someone walks up, to, uh, up uh, uh, walks up to us and goes, "You made it here." And then we remember we're all sinners saved by grace. Then Paul will get to Romans three twenty three and say that we've all, you know, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all are sinners, and, and we've fallen short. Uh, and now what's going to happen is he's going to take us to salvation. Now, some would say, well, I'm a sinner. I have a sin nature. I'm just going to go out there and start sinning because of that nature. So therefore, I don't have to worry about it. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Alan, 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 that's not an excuse. Paul teaches us that we're all like children that pull away from their parents, especially at Legoland when they see something they really like, speaking from experience here. And they start tugging on your arm, and eventually they, 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 you know, if you start grabbing a little harder, like, no, 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 you're not going on. Eventually they get their arm out of your arm, and they go anyway. You know, it's funny. They strategically place the store by the entrance, which is also the exit of the place. So, Brandon, I mean, you know, I mean, the negotiations start as soon as we enter. Are we going to go to the store today? Well, yes, we'll probably go in the store a little later today, if you're good. <laughs> bribery works I tell you sometimes but sometimes it's the attitude of I want it now and we'll find that uh, you know praise the Lord they, they sell a pass at a decent cost okay because that way we don't have to try to shove everything in the whole day you know so uh, I mean there's days when he's like you know should be enjoying the park he's like can we go to the store now can we go to the store now is it time to go to the store now and then finally he'll start to go I'm really tired. I want to leave. Because he knows that when we leave, we'll go by the store, right? And you're just like, you're just ruining the fun. But it's the now, the now, the now, the now that becomes the issue. It's called gratification. We all do this. Lord, 
I want this now. I want it now. And like a good parent, sometimes God says, no, 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 no. You're, you're not getting that right now. And we learned last week that if you keep pulling away, eventually, eventually he's going to let go and, and allows you to learn a lesson. Allows you to go away from him and learn that valuable lesson. Especially when we insist upon depravity. He tries to prick at our, conf- uh, our conscience that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. When our conscience is healthy, it works. When our conscience is, is connected with the Holy Spirit, it works. It tells us, hey, what you're doing is wrong. But when our conscience is dulled, when we tamper it down, we don't respond to it so much. But with the, with the help of the Holy Spirit that can awaken again within, within us, this is called guilt and conviction. And we do not like guilt and conviction. We like to cover up guilt and conviction with many things. Uh, many things. But guilt and conv- conviction can be a good thing. Sometimes it's called a soft voice. And since, uh, since it's called a soft voice, oftentimes we ignore it and say, well, it must not be that you know, bad because the Lord is allowing me to go into this depravity. Last week we learned that every temptation... With every temptation, the Lord allows us a way out. The Bible says this. In fact, in in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, just because a big sign isn't flashing, don't do this, Alan, don't do this, because, you know, we we all need the big sign, right? Or you allow a big tree to grow right in front of that sign that blocks that sign doesn't mean that the path from the temptation is not there. Sometimes the Lord allows us a way out and we just ignore it. We need to start praying, Lord, every time I'm tempted, provide a way of escape for this. And then we need to start taking that way. If you pray this, you will be amazed what the Lord does because the word of God is true. But when we choose to ignore our conscience, we choose to ignore the Holy Spirit, we choose to ignore the escape route, the Lord allows us to move ahead in that depravity. And the debased mind that, that we have, we talked about this, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, somewhere in chapter 1, the word is adokimos, it's the testing of metals, it's the testing of coins. Talking about the adokimos was the rejected coin because it had too many impurities in us. The problem is that we like to change the rules. We now set the, the adokimos, uh, we, we set what is, uh, you know, we've kind of turned it upside down. What is right is now wrong, and what is wrong is now right. We start to call evil good and good evil. The idea, well, you know, well, if the majority thinks it, it must be okay, right? So now it's become correct, and we call this politically correct thinking. Now, the more you learn about the, uh, God, the more you read the Bible, you start to understand the Lord is not PC. 
He's not. And the more you follow the, the, you know, God's ways, the more we start to become not PC, not politically correct. If we just read and follow, and then we start to look different because of our actions in this world. Now, you will make mistakes. You will fail. You will, you will be thinking, okay, I'm doing really good with the sin. The sin, isn't, the sin isn't overtaking me like it used to. And all of a sudden, you, you will trip and you will fall. And that's okay. That's what, you know, we'll even feel like, man, I'm just a terrible Christian. But the reality is you've already started to, to glow a little bit. You've already started to look like God. And God's like, I can forgive you for that. I'm glad you're on the right path. Don't worry, I can forgive you for that sin. And you already start to shine again, to taste salty to the world again. So over time, as you submit yourself to the Lord, then you start studying his word, and then you start praying, you start doing the basics, you start doing, you know, fellowship and stuff, you automatically start to become not PC. Now, we don't have to be proud about this. We don't have to be arrogant about this. It's a natural thing. Other people start commenting on it. If other people are not commenting that you're, that you're not a little different, then you have to ask yourself, am I following the Lord? Now, I'm not saying question your, your uh, salvation. I'm not saying that at all. Because if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you accepted him into your life, you, you're covered on that end. But I'm asking, am I following the Lord in his ways if people don't look at me as, as if I was different? Some Christians will use this to, to show that they are different. Women won't cut their hair, um, or they'll only wear dresses, no makeups, or only wear certain outfits. And they're basically saying, I am different. Some cases, this can be healthy. Other cases, not so healthy. It's not our job to judge them, but it's our job to say, holiness starts within us, not the external, the internal. That's where it starts. So chapter 1, he talks about the depraved mind. And then chapter 12, ironically, he will talk about the renewing of the depraved mind. And in the middle of all this, he covers so many different topics. Now, because we have a corrupted mind, many of us don't even realize that it's corrupted, okay? This is like Brandon when he really needs a nap. He will flat out tell you he does not need a nap. And you know he needs, it's obvious to everyone, Brandon needs a nap today. And you, you know, I mean, you tell him he needs a nap, and he's like, I don't need a nap. And then you're like, Brandon, come over here. We need to talk. That's how we act. That's how we act with God. So in our depraved mind, sometimes we can hear the word and not just, and not just you know, it doesn't process Because our processor has been corrupted by a virus. So the Lord restores us and cleanses, you know, our minds from the inside. And he puts us on a, you know, almost like a hard restart. You know what I'm talking about? Any of those computer people, you know what I'm talking about? You know, iPhones, you can, you know, turn it off, but it doesn't really do anything. But if you hard reset it, it helps it out. Okay. Sometimes he's got to do a hard reset on us so he can rebuild us. Now, in some cases, we may resist or even resist the person telling us that we're corrupted. Like, you know, well, if that guy keeps up, you know, keeps talking like that, I'm going to find another church that's a little nicer. 
I mean, they're going through, I mean, they're just talking about sin after sin after sin. I want some, you know, I want a church that's going to make me feel good. Or we say, oh, I'm so happy he brought that up. But of course, it doesn't relate to me. It relates to the other guy. You know, the other one sitting on my rope. Could even be, well, my spouse or my, you know, my son or my kid or my daughter or whatever. You know, it doesn't relate to me, just the other people. We need to be very careful of that. Our first thought on depraved thinking is not to think of someone else, but to humbly acknowledge that we struggle with unacceptable thinking, unacceptable conclusions, and unacceptable lifestyles sometimes. These are the fruit of bad thinking. Now, hopefully our pride doesn't stop us from doing that. In many cases, it does, because pride is a very sneaky thing. Oh, man, pride is so sneaky. We're going to talk about pride and envy next Sunday, and it's a root of many things. What is interesting is some of the most powerful people are also the most you know, prideful people, and they don't know it. They'll even tell you that they're not prideful. They'll even flat out tell you, no, that's not me. You know, if we just read the Bible and consider that Paul is possibly talking to us, possibly talking to us, then hopefully with that admission, we can start to pray like David and say, search me, O God. In fact, that's a great scripture that, you know, Psalms 139. This is one that you need to plaster all over the place to learn this one. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Man, what a prayer. If we can learn this prayer, it'll be a breakthrough for us in regards to everything that we deal with. Lord, I am in this situation. Search me in this situation. I want to see, Lord, if there's anything offensive in me in this situation, you need to search that out in me and let me know. Lead me to your ways. See, it's really cool because even though it's good for for me as a pastor to call us to moral accountability, how much better is it for the Holy Spirit to do that? How much better is the Holy Spirit to, to, to come to me or come to you and say, man, Alan, you need to work on this. I mean, why is this? Well, number one, you can fool the pastor. (gasps) What? You mean be fake? Oh, I would never. Prideful person. Okay, I would never. You know, I've known people who have tried to fool the pastor for years, or so they think. They walk away from being involved, and we may not know exactly what's going on or whatever, but we know something is going on. But short term, you can fool the pastor, but you cannot fool the Holy Spirit. You can't. God sees everything. God knows everything. You cannot fool him. When we finally invite God into our everyday situations, it can be great. It can also be scary at the same time. Lord, search through my, motiva- my motivations. Search through my thoughts. If you see any wickedness or offensive things, you know, point them out to me because I want to be on your path. That, is a, that, that can be a scary thing, can it? 
Man, it's a very risky prayer because God may take you up on that. And all of a sudden, the conscience that was stamped down, all of a sudden, the conscience, you know, the, the still small voice in your head that used to tell you when you were going down a wrong way, going down a wrong path, doing something you shouldn't do, all of a sudden, that, you know, it's a little louder. And we're like, whoa, where'd that come from? I used to not worry about this. And our conscience says, no, 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 no. Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. I don't want you to be doing that. I just wanted to feel guilty, I mean, feel better about my guilt. And, and, and the Lord says, you know, no, I want you to change. And I'm like, okay, you want me to change a little bit? And then I hear this loud laugh, Alan, Alan. I don't want you to change a little bit. I want you to change a ton. Wow. Because when we start to look like God, we can be a better man, we can be a better woman, we can be a better husband or a wife or a father or a mother, you know, a better leader if we allow the Holy Spirit to change us. See, I think Romans 28, Romans 128 also holds the key here. It says, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to, the, to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. What it is is this. They didn't want to retain God. If you don't want to retain God in your life, if you don't want to retain God in your culture, in your country, in your schools, in your law, if you don't want to retain God in your marriages, in your relationships, how you spend time, what you consume, how you were entertained, what you talk about, what you think is funny. If you don't retain God, if you ignore the counsel of God, it's only a matter of time for you to do what, you know, what the church used to call backsliding. You know, we, growing up Baptist, we always had these, we were talking earlier, back row Baptist, you know, because apparently the, the seats in the back are, are warmer than the seats up front, right? Is that what it is? You know, but then we also have backslidden Baptists, you know, but, you know, backsliding. The idea of falling away from God, you know, because it happens. All of a sudden, you're back in the pig pen that you were in. Why? Because you didn't retain God. That's what Paul is saying. So we say, God, I want to retain you in my everyday life. You know what? Some of us, we just don't want to do that. We just don't want to retain God. And Paul's encouraging us. We really like our wicked self. We're kind of proud of that. You know, we could sing the song, Bad to the Bone or something, you know? I'm a Raiders fan. Look how bad I can be this weekend. Okay. Sorry, Joe. We like our wickedness. We, we brag about it, in fact. And as Christians, we have liberties. We have these freedoms. I can do whatever I want. I can laugh at whatever I want. I can live however I want. When in reality, the Holy Spirit is trying to convict us on a daily basis. Since God is, in many ways, a quiet gentleman. God is not an in-your-face, let-me-scream-at-you type of guy, in a sense, okay? He's a quiet gentleman. We're left to believe that what we're doing is actually okay because we're not really hearing from God. Man. And then we say, God, I feel so, you know, 
feel so far away from you. Where did you go? And he's like, I'm on aisle five right next to the broccoli that's good for you also. You're over in the candy aisle. And you're not supposed to be buying candy today. And we cry and we moan and we say, I don't need a nap. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what they ought not uh, to do what ought not to be done. They have uh, become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. And Paul uses the word wickedness here. It means an evil nature with evil motivations and desires. And it goes way beyond just a, a behavior as a word. It goes to the heart of the behavior. It goes straight to the true nature of, you know, of us wanting to be bad. Or just bad enough. I can still have a lot of fun, even though I'm a Christian. But I'm, I'm enjoying being drawn to those things that are not of God. Now, when we become aware of this and we start confessing it, our eyes are open and we begin to, to see all around us. We start to see all the sins. You know, when we start kind of get on that path of God and we start to go, whoa, that path is not... And we start to see other people on their paths and, and we may start to see their sin. And what's sad is once we figure that out, we start, you know, become preachy to everybody else. Well, I've straightened this part of my life out. You need, let me give you a list of your problems. When in reality, God wants us to deal with this as an individual first, and then our family, and then our church family, before we even get to the friends that are out in the world. Too quickly, we go after other people. The focus needs to be inward and upward. Inward and upward. then things will change for us. And people will either talk with you about it or they will run from you about it. But we don't really want them running, so we need to be careful on on being obnoxious or being too preachy about things. We need to become more wonderful, more gracious, and more truthful. And then if the world hates us, that's okay because they hate you for the right reason. And the reason is you represent goodness that they may not like. It naturally, your life naturally points out the negative of their life without God. Also without us getting in their face and being rude about it. See, some of the persecution we face is because we don't have social skills. Pastor. I was persecuted for my faith this week. And they go on, they tell the story, and then I realize that, uh, wow, no, you're just being an idiot in your relationship. I mean, sorry. We start becoming judgmental and prideful or, uh, you know, with an attitude or, or, or arrogant in regards to other people. So we have to clean out our, our own house first. Now, sometimes our wickedness is, is fanned or fueled by covetedness. So some people would say, well, what is covetedness? It's wanting or desiring something else that someone has or something that someone has that you really want. Not being content when someone else has more or better or newer. 
Now, this could be success, could be status, it could be relationships, it could be a possession, it could be a body type, it could be a job that pays more, it could be a marriage, it could be children, or the fact that they have children and you don't have children, it could be the hair on their forehead when yours is receding, it could be anything. Individuals can covet, groups can covet, churches can covet, countries can covet, businesses, sports teams can covet. It's crazy the ways that we invent to covet. It's rampant in the church. Many of us sitting here today deal with this on a daily basis. And it's amazing that we don't really believe it's a sin. Because it's listed as one of the most heinous of things. Covetedness is is destructive in our lives. And the opposite of covetedness is contentment. The Bible talks a lot about being content. The Bible talks a lot about about the the desires that we have. But the church doesn't. Because some people are flocking to all these Eastern religions, which does talk about being content. We have failed to teach contentment in our churches. And because the church oftentimes is not content. We've got to repent from the sin. And we've got to do it now. Now on a scale of 1 to 10, over the last seven days, how content have you been? How often in any given day did you covet See, and we want to go around pointing our fingers to homosexuality and, and the murderers and liars and, and, and pornography and other things. And, and when we got to clean up the things in our own lives like covetedness. Americans have a problem with this. In fact, it's said that we spend 10% more than we make, which is ironic Because it used to be a generation or two ago that you would tithe 10% of what you made. You would save 10% what you made. So we actually lived on 80% of our salary. Now we don't do that. We go out and spend 30% more than a generation before, and that's 10% more than we actually make. The kids have to go to schools. Well, they have to have new clothes. They have to have the, you know, the best sneakers out there because, I mean, you know, what if they feel bad because their friends have it? I mean, Christmas is coming up. We have got to keep up with the Joneses. Now, I don't know who the Joneses are, but man, they, they got a lot of some money. How in the world do we ba- battle covetedness? Well, first off, we admit it. We admit it. Admit that I'm coveting our, you know, somebody's children, their car, their house, their personality, their job, their clothes, how spiritual they are. Whatever it is that we covet, we have to admit it. And secondly, after we admit it, we have to ask God for some help. When we recognize sin in our, li- in our life, we don't leave thinking, man, he's right, I need to work on that. No, we need to leave thinking, God... I need your help with this because I can't get a hold of it. I can't handle it myself. I was conning you, and now I fess up. Hence the word confess. Number three, we ask God for insight into our own mind. What makes me want these things? 
Well, you know, one reason we're so focused on others is we're afraid to get in our own mind, right? God, give me insight into my own mind. Search me. In other words, show me why I covet these things. Why is my self-esteem, you know, in a place where I have to have a new car every two years? And if you buy a new car every two years, that may not be the sin of co- You know what I'm saying? But it may. Who knows? Why do I have to have the latest thing? Why, why, why? I mean, they're fixing to release a new iPhone. For those that have to have the iPhone every year. You know what I'm saying? Why? You have to ask yourself, why? What is missing in me that causes me to be focused on what other people have? Number four, develop a habit of being thankful in the morning, at another time during the day, and in the evening. This is a very practical thing to live thankfully. To understand what's important in, in, you know, in their life. One day, uh, you know, I need to be reminded how thankful I am with Grayson. That God gave us an adopted son to take care of. Luckily, we weren't walking around being covetedness of, you know, being, you know having that, coveting other families. We were very content with one child and we were much less um, tired also. But we're thankful that a young lady approached us and said, would you consider adopting my child, my baby? When he is a teenager and acting like teenagers do, I need to be reminded about how happy we were back in 2015 and 16. To live thankful that life is a full life. Believe me, my wife and I could sit around and commiserate over things that uh, that have happened in our lives. We could sit around and, and, you know, happen uh, to us or around us, you know. But what good could it do? To live thankfully is a godly way of living. Thank God for, put it down, write it down. Then thank you for, start listing it out. Just this morning I woke up and I, I thought about Lisa and said, Thank you, God, for Lisa. 26 years ago this week, we officially started dating exclusively. Not that we were really dating other people, but still. After a month of hanging out, we decided, wow, this person is worthless. My, you know, my life has changed for the better. Her life has forever changed. <laughs> we need to remind ourselves to be thankful throughout the whole day. Don't let the morning slip by without you being thankful. Don't let the afternoon or the evening, don't let your head hit the pillow without being thankful. Thank God for being involved in your life. Number five, stop assuming that we're supposed to have everything that others have. This is a hard one. In life, there will be those that have more than you and those that have less than you. And if you're on this comparison treadmill thing, it will hurt your relationships. You'll focus on it so much it becomes idolatry. So stop it. I'm not assuming that I should have a car every year, a new car. Or maybe I'm not even supposed to have that car that I really want. You know, I've often joked around about buying a boat. I tell you, 
we went camping with some friends of ours, and, and they had a, have a boat. He, he goes out, and he does fishing tournaments, wins money and all that. He just really enjoys his time, and, and it got me thinking. Lisa goes, uh, wow, I can see why people own a boat. And I went, you just gave me permission. So we were on a one-year plan to buy a boat. And I've talked about this before. I went to Canada fishing with my family, and my uncle has a boat, and he gave me some recommendations. We were talking about it. I started investigating because I try not to jump right into things. I, you know, if I'm going to buy something, I, I want to know that I'm buying the correct thing. So I started investigating and looking at you know, used boats versus new boats, and, and you know, we're on the one-year mark to get one. So I would get on a computer and look at different ones and what options, ski boat, fishing boat, ski fishing boat, you know, what, you know, there's a lot of options out there. Then came this, you know, young lady who, who wanted us to adopt her child. So my dreams, the dreams of a boat sunk. <laughs> but we got Grayson, which is much better, much better. Now, I could still be online looking at boats. I could do that. All the options, what's for sale, any good deals out there. But I came to the conclusion I am not supposed to own a boat, at least not right now, maybe one day. But I could sit there and I could covet and I could keep looking online and I could, every time I drive by a boat, I could go, oh man, I really, oh, look at that boat. I could do that, but I stopped assuming that I should own one. You see my point? We've got to get to that point where we stop assuming things. Now, some religions will say you're supposed to, you know, cut out a picture of the boat that you want, plaster it on their fridge, say, I will own that boat, chant, boat, 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 do a little dance, whatever it is, name it and claim it in Jesus' name, I will own a boat, and, you know, Jesus is going to get me a boat. This is religious motivational teaching. This is not how to get your next level in faith. But you know what? That's also not the Bible. In fact, the Bible is pretty much the opposite. Jesus says, you know, he, he, we, we need to be giving up our stuff. We need to be giving up our, our, our you know, possessions. So be careful of uh, smiling Joel on old, you know, and others on, on TV. I mean, Joel Osteen's a great motivational teacher. But in my book, if I take out the Bible... And listen to what he's saying and compare it to the Bible. I don't really see much scripture there. And I certainly don't see scripture to, to back up some of that. He does not teach the totality of the scripture. Pick out certain verses, certain things, and it really deceives people. And people just eat it up for some reason. That stuff comes on the TV or the radio. You need to change the channel. When we focus on the things that we want, it can become idolatry. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. He, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, or what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? 
And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grasses of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith, are you little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We need to start relaxing a little, people. We worry way too much, especially about what we have and what we don't have. Number six, we need to stop comparing ourselves to others. We need to compare ourselves only to, uh, to, to Christ. And then lastly, let me, I want to add this one on. Be generous. Be generous with what you have. Focus on people who have less than what you have. It will make you more thankful and more generous. Therefore, make you more godlike make you more Jesus-like. You'll start to understand, start to, 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 to appear like Jesus. Now, when you help other people out, don't be out there bragging about it. Allow the Lord to reward you. If you walk around saying, well, I did this, I did this, look at what I did, I did this, that's your reward. People going, oh, great, he's a good guy. That's your reward. What, you know, what, how much better would it be if you were rewarded in secret by the Lord? Because the Lord rewards us. Let's take care of each other. And let's stop focusing on ourselves. And certainly stop focusing on what everybody else has. Now, if there's something that you feel like you should have, go to the Lord. Ask Him. Maybe He says yes. You will have that. Not right now, or maybe he'll say right now. I don't know. But when we become obsessed about something, it can overtake our lives. Don't allow it, because Satan will just make you do that over and over and over, and you will never get to the next level in your relationship with God, because you're so focused on the thing instead of focused on God. Well, why don't you stand, and we'll we'll, uh, pray to the Lord, and we'll end up today. Lord, too often we are focused on the things of this world. We're focused on the things that we have, the things that we don't have, the things that we want, the things that we often think that we deserve. And I pray that you help change our mind, you help mold our minds to to thinking about your things. Help us understand where, where our mind should be. Don't allow Satan to enter our lives and and take away from us the joy of the things that you've already given us. It's like a room full of toys. And we walk out and say, Mom, I want something else. We're not even using what we have. I pray that you help us become more content in our daily lives. Help us say thank you for the things that you've given us, for the people that we have around us. Though they're not perfect, Lord, and neither are we, that we're still thankful for those that you've placed in our lives. Hmm. 
Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may He shine brighter than the things of this world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You guys have a wonderful day.